please turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 13. In fact, I shall begin at Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 32. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. If there, be, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet. My friends, my subject this morning is uh, simply truth versus error. Truth versus error. Well, war is very much, sadly, on our minds uh, recently, and we see there's a battles, there's wars that are going on in the Middle East, and uh, we see an, a, a long war that has been taking place in the Ukraine uh, for so long, and also in other nations there are wars going on. And uh, today, but today I want to talk about another kind of war, and that is a spiritual war and the spiritual warfare that is going on, an invisible war that is taking place. And uh, of course, uh, that is between the powers of light and the powers of darkness, between God and the devil. The devil is reluctant to let go of his captives. God is on the offensive. God is uh, out to regain souls which are under his control, to deliver captives, to deliver those who are bound by sin and guilt, and to bring them out of such a miserable place into a better place where they know peace in their conscience and peace with God. And God has this agenda to save souls. That's his motive, that's his plan to redeem souls that are lost. But the devil is out to spoil God's plan, to hinder it as much as he can, and he won't uh, stop. He is ever active. This is his one goal in life, as you could say. Everything that he does, he doesn't have a multitude of interests, the devil. The devil is only has one interest, one intention, and that is to spoil the work of God, to hinder souls from coming to know Jesus Christ and from giving their lives over to Him. And He will employ every strategy and every device that He can to keep souls from Christ. He has, we could say, primarily used four kinds of devices, four strategies to keep people from the Savior, four tactics that are at His beck and call, we could say. One is persecution. Stop people from coming to Christ by persecuting believers. And then others will see, oh, look at what's happening to Christians. They're losing their jobs. Their families are cutting them off. I don't want to become a Christian. Another strategy he has is to make those who are professors of the faith live in a hypocritical way and so bring dishonor upon the name of the Lord. Just recently I saw, uh, uh, I happened to come across an, an interview 
that was being conducted with a professor of religion, a very intelligent man, a very clever man, very able man, a very eloquent man in so many ways, but he was a professor of religion. I don't think he was a true believer, but he, he speaks up for God. But in this interview, well, uh, it was on a, a non-religious topic, and he got so upset. He got so upset with the interviewer, and he got up, and for 15 minutes he harangued at the, the interviewer, and uh, wouldn't, would, wouldn't let him off, off the hook, and was complaining and grumbling about him and his, his way and method of questioning. And we, one was thinking, well, if he's a, even just a professing believer, that's not going to be a, a good promotion for Christianity and what God can do for a person. Another method that Satan uses, friends, is division, to, to sow discord and disunity amongst brothers and sisters. But perhaps his chief weapon, the one that he, he is his go-to weapon, we could say, is that of sowing error in the church, of bringing people, men and women, to believe a lie. That was his first you remember his first tactic with Eve? He made her believe a lie about God. And he made her believe a lie about the punishment that was due to uh, uh, disobedience. He, he twisted things and she uh, believed him. And that's what he's, he's up to and has been ever up to ever since the beginning, right through the centuries, even until this very present day, this is his chief weapon because it is his most destructive weapon. And this is what keeps people in darkness. He uses false teaching. He sows error in people's minds. And he even seeks to sow error, as we see, in churches. He doesn't leave the church alone. The church is especially a target of his. How can I bring believers to think in an erroneous way. How can I bring them to think, believe a lie? He's always up to his old tricks, friends. So there is this ongoing battle that believers have to face uh, and uh, to engage in. And one can clearly see when you read the New Testament and you read about the early church, all these things happened. There was persecution when the gospel was spreading, what, how did the devil try? Well, he tried to hound the, the dis disciples. He tried to drive them out uh, through persecution. Some of them lost their lives. Others had to leave their homes and, and depart to other lands because it was not safe for them to remain in Jerusalem. And he, he tried in this method. You know about the apostle Paul, Saul as he was, and what kind of a man he was going from place to place, looking for Christians to arrest and bring them back uh, to uh, Jerusalem to be tried. And then we see also uh, how there were uh, division in the churches and discord amongst brethren. But again, chiefly, isn't it surprising? It, it surprised me when I was reading the New, read the New Testament to see again and again the early church uh, there were so many errors that Paul and Peter and James and all the others had to deal with. They had to address error right from the very beginning because Satan was actively trying to pervert the truth and to stop people uh, from uh, believing these things. This is what Jude said 
and his letter, Jude 1, verse 3 and 4, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which is once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's uh, really what we're looking at uh, today, friends. The need uh, to address error, not to allow it to fester and to remain amongst us, but to deal with it. Deuteronomy 13 is dealing with a very particular case about idolatry. It's a serious thing for the children of Israel to depart from the living God. After all He's done for them, again and again, isn't it? Moses repeats, the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, the Lord who's giving you the new land, who has been so merciful and compassionate to you, you cannot turn your back on Him. But beware, because when you get into that new land, that Canaan, there are people who are going to want to turn you, who will rise up and will want to persuade you to leave your gods and to adopt the idols of the land. So beware is this... The, is this uh, uh, instruction from this chapter. And it has, friends, important lessons for us. Verse 32, chapter 12, What things soever I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish uh, from it. And that's the Word of God, what God had revealed to the people up to that particular point. That was to be the measuring rod for everything that happened and people uh, who came their way. And it's the same for us in the church today. That, uh, what is the thing that, by which we address everything, by which we practice and believe? What is it, friends, but the Word of God? The Word of God which is given to us, that which has been revealed. This is what we live by. This is the truth. This is what will keep us from error. For the spiritual well-being of the church, it's so vital that we stick by the Word, what God has said. So I have three points, as you can see uh, very clearly in this chapter. And the first one is, uh, God's Word is more important than signs and wonders. God's Word more important than signs and wonders. Verse 1, if there rises prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So the first danger here for the people was of a, a prophet who would rise up and who would come not just with words, but with signs and wonders. And uh, yet... He would be telling people to let's go and serve other gods. A dreamer of dreams here is somebody who has had a vision or has had a dream and says, I've had a dream uh, from the Lord. It was the usual manner of communication in which God actually communicated His Word with Moses. An exception, He spoke face to face. But usually God communicated His will through uh, visions and through dreams. And on the surface of things, if you came across such a, a prophet and he was doing great miracles, 
uh, then perhaps you're quite likely to believe what he is saying. Because that's how things were. That's what happened with Moses. How did the people know that Moses was a true prophet of God when he first came across them? How could he verify? Well, he had those miracles that attended his words. And so the people were sure that he was a true prophet. And you can think of the New Testament. How, uh, how did people know that all that Jesus was claiming to be, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, how do we know that he is who he says he is? Well, he was authenticated by the miracles, the thousands of miracles which attended his ministry. And so people had that confirmation, believe what he is saying. And the same with the apostles in the New Testament. The miracles were given to them to confirm, this are my disciples, listen to what they are saying, because it is true. And the miracles confirmed that. So then one may think, well, in this particular case, with these uh, uh, prophets, they're rising up. How were they to discern if they were our true prophets or not, or a false prophet? How were they to make, because they had the signs and the wonders? Well, by his word, by what he was saying more than what he was doing. Because by his teaching, what is that man, that prophet teaching? What is his doctrine? What does he believe? Is it in harmony with, God, with what God had already revealed? Or is it contradictory? Is it in line with God's revealed will or not? Does it tally with what God has said? Does it tally with the truth of what God has revealed to us? That's what they were to ask. That's what they were to emphasize. In this case, well, it's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> it's obvious that it doesn't tally because this false prophet, despite the miracles, is saying, let us go after other gods. It's obvious that it's, he's leading them astray and he should be rejected outright. Don't be deceived by the miracles and all the other signs and wonders uh, that he may be doing. Well, if he is a false prophet, how can he do signs and wonders, they may ask. And many people think like that today. Oh, if, he's, if he is a, a, a prophet, or he must be rather a prophet, because he is doing signs and wonders. Only God can do miracles. So that man who comes and visits us, well, visits London, well, he must be a miracle worker. He must be of God because of all those tremendous healings and so on that go on. And people think in this way. But no, friends, we don't know how these false prophets did their miracles, perhaps by magic arts, as the Egyptian magicians were able to do. Or perhaps even the devil really enabled them to do uh, such, um, such miracles. You know, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, when Paul is speaking about the Antichrist, and he says his coming of the Antichrist is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So that Antichrist is going to have something about the, the mirac miraculous about him, but it's in order to deceive people. It's lying wonders. And again, the Lord himself warned us when he was speaking about false Christs and false prophets that they will show great signs and wonders in order to deceive people. So even the false prophets are able uh, to do 
uh, uh, miraculous. So we shouldn't be taken in. Well, dear friends, are you mesmerized by the miraculous? Are you a believer who is hypnotized and easily taken in and you see somebody who is doing great healings, great miracles? Are you easily swayed by signs and wonders? You're on very shaky ground if you are. If that is how you judge people by what they, they appear to do. You know, there are so many who come to the city. Many who come, who, many who are already here, I should say as well, but many who visit London from different parts of the world, and they come proclaiming how, uh, how powerful they are. We had one not so long ago come and fill the O2 arena. Filled it, packed it. And you could see uh, adverts for, for this and uh, others, even on the backs of, ba of uh, buses. Thousands flocking. Why? To hear the word? <laughs> to hear the preaching? No. To see the miracles. To see the signs and the wonders. To receive a miracle. Usually a financial one. Oh, friends, uh, we doubt even whether any of these things really are miraculous, which they say. But what are those people teaching? What is their doctrine? It's, it's, uh, they won't say outright like this prophet, oh, let us go after other gods. That's too obvious. They dare not say any such thing like that. But you have to think and ask, is their teaching biblical? Does it match what is here in the Word of God? You have to ask these questions. Does what that preacher says conform with Scripture? Does it, verse 4, uh, say, as it says here, cause you to cleave unto the Lord? Does it leave you uh, wanting to go back and walk more humbly with the Lord? and to serve Him in a better way, and to live in a, a holy way? Does it cause you to have a, a firmer hold on Christ? Or does it, verse 5, turn you away from the Lord your God? You know, prosperity teaching really is not biblical, friends. Because if you judge it in this sense, does it turn you to the Lord or turn you away from Him? It certainly doesn't turn you to the Lord. It turns you inward, isn't it? It turns you to yourself. And the focus is very much on yourself. It feeds a person's covetousness. It feeds that spirit. It turns you into a more selfish person. The emphasis of prosperity is God wants to bless you. The emphasis is you. God wants to enrich your life. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and so on. It's all about you. Oh, you're missing out on God's plan. This is what God wants to do for you. That's the prosperity teaching. There's no cross in the prosperity gospel. You don't hear about denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow Him. Oh, friends, we have to uh, be aware, be on our guard uh, for... Uh, those things that come our way, what we hear. Listen to the words of Paul, Galatians 1, verse 8. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. An angel! Whoa, let's listen to an angel. 
No, if he's preaching and what's he teaching? Another gospel? Don't listen to him. Let him be accursed. So beware, friends. There are many imposters. There are many charlatans out there. We cannot walk through life in a naive way as believers, thinking everybody is just sincere. Everybody is just wonderful. Be careful who you watch, listen to on YouTube. Your YouTube preachers. Be careful, friends. Prove all things. Try the spirits. Know your Bible. That's so important. Know the truth. And then that will be a, a safeguard for you. Now, I go back just very quickly, a couple of things before we move on. Verse 1 shows us that, it, that these prophets would arise from amongst the people of Israel. They were not just from the, from the Canaanites. If there arise a prophet, arise among you a prophet. And so from within, there was a very real danger from within the camp. And it was the same also in the New Testament, isn't it? Again and again, the, uh, uh, they had to write about people coming up from within. When Paul was speaking to the elders at Miletus, he warned them, even of your own selves will people arise and uh, lead people away. And again and again they are told, be careful about even the church within. Now it's not that we look with each other at, as in a suspicious way and uh, look and wonder, is he, is, he, is he right, is he okay? No, but we have to be on our watch. We have to be on our guard that then nothing comes in, that is fundamental. Somebody comes in teaching other people, persuading other people to believe uh, something that we fundamentally disagree with. We have to be on our guard, friends. The punishment, let's deal with that very quickly as well. It's uh, here was for a false prophet was to be put to death. And uh, we see this in verse 5. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he had spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. That sounds very harsh. It seems so uh, severe uh, a, 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 a punishment for him. But this was under uh, the, the Old Testament. This was for Israel in their national covenant that they had with God. They were to, uh, put, to put to death those who are guilty of such serious uh, crimes. But for us in the New Testament, we don't go about putting anyone to death in the church. But our, if somebody teaches error, if there is false doctrine, then that person or that teaching must be exposed firstly. And if that person repents, all well and good. If not, that person is, should be excommunicated, put out from the church. Because if they're left in the church still holding those erroneous teachings, they're going to infect other people. It's bound to happen. So false teaching, friends, is very much like a cancer that if it's not dealt with, in a severe way, it's going to spread and affect uh, many uh, others also. So uh, this is uh, our first. God's word is more important uh, than uh, signs and wonders. But secondly, in verses 6 to 11, we see God's word is more important than human relationships. In verse 6, if thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee, saying, entice thee secretly, saying, 
let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, nor thy fathers. This is about our allegiance to Christ, our allegiance to the Lord. Who comes first in our lives? Is it the Lord? Or is it my relatives, my dearest family members? Here, look at the list, friends. Your brother, your son, your daughter, the, the wife of your bosom, your very, very closest friend, uh, your best friend. If they come and lead you astray, well, then uh, they, you are uh, to deal with that matter. If, some, if you, somebody who is in, you, with whom you are intimately connected, Moses is telling them, and whom you uh, uh, love dearly, entices you in this secret way, comes to you privately and tries to make you go and worship other gods, well then, uh, you, you are not to, uh, you're not to consent. Verse 8, Do, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him. But everyone is doing it, they'll say. Verse 7, all the gods are in Canaan and in the world. Everyone is worshipping these gods. We're different. Everyone has gods that they can see. We don't have a god that we can see. Let's be like the Canaanites. Let's be like the other nations in the world. Oh, darling, let's do it like this way. Oh, no. That person has to be brought out. Moses is saying, even though they are so very dear to you and you're, you're next of kin, and if they're persuading you to do uh, such a thing, you have to bring them out. You cannot conceal the matter. You cannot just bury it and say, let's forget about it. I'll pretend you never said such a thing. No, they had a duty to report it to the authorities. And if found guilty, well, that person was put to death as well. And the person who made, uh, 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 who brought the, the accusation had to cast the first stone. You can read that in verses 9 and 10. Well, this also seems so severe. But friends, the sin of idolatry was also a very severe, a serious sin and couldn't be bypassed to turn someone away, even if your loved one turned someone away from the Lord. And uh, you remember when the Capitol riots were on in uh, Washington, D.C.? And uh, on that particular day, uh, when thousands were marching uh, to the capital, and uh, one person, uh, or rather I should say the FBI, phoned a young man, a young adult, and asked him to confirm, is this your father in the protest? And he did. What would he do? What would you do? Is this your father? Is this his picture? Confirm it. Would you say yay or nay? He said yes. He more or less handed him over to justice, to the police. And he, because of that, well, he lost out with his, uh, his, his sister and his mother. He lost contact, of course, with his father, who were all very unhappy with him for grasping, as it were, on, their, on him. Well, you may have heard of last year, I think it was, a devoted mom of seven and uh, her son, 18 years old, came, came home one day. Mom, I've killed someone. You what? I've killed someone. What, should, what would you do? Hide it? Conceal it? Pretend it never happened? 
Try and get away with it. He said, oh, there's only one thing I can do. Pick up the phone. And she phoned the police almost immediately. With a trembling voice said, my son has killed somebody. She handed him it. It's serious, isn't it? Murder is serious. Violence is serious. So also in God's eyes, idolatry is serious. And has to be uh, dealt with and cannot, a blind eye cannot be turned to it. Oh, friends, uh, the principle here is our allegiance to the Lord must be first. We must love Him even above our family and friends. You know the terms of discipleship. You know what Christ said in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's not saying you should, a believer should go around hating literally his father and his mother. That's not the meaning. When the person is converted, they should love their husband or their wife or their son or their daughter, their father and mother, even more than they did before. But here it's saying you know, to hate, we could take it in love less. Love less. You must love the Lord above everyone else. You must love your, your mother and your, your wife and your child less than you do the Lord Jesus. Oh, friends, this is so uh, vital for us uh, that he uh, comes first as his people. He loved us. He died on Calvary's cross. He gave his life for us. And he asked that we uh, put him first in our hearts and our lives. There was a lady, my wife was telling me, uh, now in the care home, and uh, at a certain age, uh, not sure when, but uh, when she was much younger, she came to Christ, and she found the Lord, the Lord found her, and she was joyed, but her husband wasn't overjoyed about it. Her husband was an atheist, and her husband uh, stopped her from going to church, and uh, what would she do? Would she give up the faith because of love and affection for her husband? No, she continued to believe in the Lord, despite what her husband told her to do. Her two sons never came through to the Lord. Also, they turned out to be atheist or against the Lord, or not for him anyway. But she's still there, in her old age, in a care home, still listening to sermons, still praying, having her devotions every day, still loving the Lord, and that's... Uh, loving, this, that's that principle in action. Can you see it? Oh, friends, be careful. <laughs> we love our spouses, we love our loved ones, but we cannot agree with everything. This, this principle, we could apply it, isn't it? If a spouse, if your husband comes along and says, darling, let's, the children are out, let's watch a pornographic film, let's download a pornographic video and watch it together, you have to say no. We can't do that. I can't do that. I'm a believer. Or your wife says, let us live lavishly. Look at everyone else. Just like, look, everyone else in the world is living in a, trying to live in a lavish way. Have a lovely house. Let's get the best furniture. Let's have the best car, the best of everything that we can. Let's live, uh, live a nice, comfortable life. Let's spend, spend, spend. And while well, the husband has to say, no, we're responsible. We're stewards. We cannot uh, follow uh, in such a way. 
Oh, let's skip church. <laughs> let's skip church. Your friend says to you, come on, you're good at football. Come on down the path. You'll get a game. You're great. You don't have to go to church this Sunday. Skip it. Come on. The family members will say, let's have a family time together. Oh, it'll be wonderful. We'll catch up on so many things. But it's the Lord's day. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the time to meet the Lord. Sorry, I'd love to come to play football. I'd love to have lunch with you. Can we make it another time, another day? Oh, friends, we don't have to be rude and unkind in our refusals. But in some way, we would seek to put the Lord uh, first. Verse 11, all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more such wickedness as this among you. And people even are disciplined for teaching error. Others will hear and will uh, take heed as well themselves. But very quickly, let me close with this final point and just try and be brief. Uh, verses 12 to 18. This is God's word more important than peace. God's word is more important than peace. If thou shalt hear, say, in any of thy cities which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods. Well, a similar situation, but this time on a city-wide scale, a city that has been persuaded by, by some worthless fellows, these children of Belial, who have gone in and have managed to persuade, it seems, the city and drawn them uh, to serve and worship other gods. Idolatry again. And if other cities and people in other communities hear about it, well, they cannot just pretend, oh, that's up to them. Leave it up to them. It's, it's their choice, their decision. Let them do as they like. We're okay. We're going to stick with the Lord and let them serve their gods if that's what they want. You can't do that, Moses is saying. You've got to carry out an investigation. You've got to go to that city and you've got to find out, are these things true? You cannot turn a blind ear, to, a, a, a deaf ear to these things or a blind eye and pretend that it's not happening. Failure to deal with that would then affect other cities in Israel. It would spread again like that cancer. Like it would become a pandemic. It would spread throughout the land. Oh, they're, doing, they're worshipping idols. They're following uh, the worldly ways. We'll do the same. And so uh, they had a responsibility uh, to uh, look into it. And if it was proved true then again action had to be taken and severe action. The, the place was burned down, the inhabitants put to the sword and uh, evil in this way had to be put away. Oh friends, sadly we've seen when the church hasn't dealt with certain erroneous doctrines, it has pervaded the church. We can think of liberalism which came in in the 19th century. And liberalism basically said, we don't believe in the inspiration of the Bible. We don't believe every word of it from cover to cover. We especially don't believe in the miracles of Christ. He walked, he didn't walk on water. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And you would think that people would immediately know that what they are saying is wrong and error. But many people listened. Many believers listened. Many churches listened. And then 
Pastors were chosen who believed liberal teaching and they were placed in positions where they were teaching these things and it gradually spread. It's still, it's still around today. Liberalism, disbelief of the Bible. And then you could think about uh, truth even. Today we live in a post-modern world. <laughs> truth is relative. Everything, it's up to you what you believe. And uh, I have a black car. I drive a black car. Well, somebody may say, oh, it's not a black car, it's a blue car. And another person may say, well, it's not a blue car, it's a yellow car. And another person, no, no, it's not a yellow car, a blue car, it's a pink car. Well, everyone is right in, in, in this way of thinking. Truth is relative, it's up to you. If you see it in this way and that way, but the truth is it's a black car. The people don't know, no, it's, you don't have to say it so directly. That's what it's happening. Ecumenism, again, we could go on and on. The number of things that have come into the church and spread uh, through the church. Friends, we cannot turn a blind eye to these things. If we do not stand up, it would be a sin for us to remain silent and say nothing, to just keep quiet. We have to speak up. We have to fight for the truth. We cannot say, let the pastor do it, let others do it. All of us have to play a part in some measure. Every believer has a responsibility to be a soldier battling to, uh, to, for the truth, standing for the truth. Every one of us has to be a Luther in some way or other, standing for what we believe in. Oh, friends, as a church, we have to say, in application of this final case, we cannot unite, we cannot stand together with churches which deny the fundamental doctrines of the faith. Those which are under, believe the word of God as we do, yes, we, are, we can unite with them, we can fellowship with them, but if, if churches are outrightly denying our Savior, His deity, or uh, what He has done, and the atonement, we cannot, we have to take, uh, we have to separate from them. We have to, for the Lord's sake. So this is where we say the word of God is more important than peace. Ecumenism is all about peace. It's not really about the word of God. Separation is required for us in certain instances. But uh, as I close, oh friends, truth is so vital. Truth is important. God's word is important. It is truth that leads us to Christ. It is truth that reconciles us with God. The Lord Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. The truth, the more you come to know the truth. That's why the devil doesn't want you to know the truth, if you don't know it. That's why he wants to keep people in bondage, keep them in error. Truth saves a soul. Error leads to damnation. The truth sets us free. Do you love the truth, friends? Oh, there are so many deceptions, lies, false teachings abounding in our day. How can I keep myself? How can I keep myself, friends, in such a climate? There's only one way, and that is to have a love in your heart for the truth, a knowledge of it, study it, learn it, understand it, Seek more and more to understand the Word of God as much as you can. Delight in it. Believe it. And this will be your safeguard 
in a world full of error. And the Lord, of course, will keep you in the truth. Well, may the Lord uh, help us to do just that. Let's sing that Martin Luther's uh, hymn, 480, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, 480, version 1.